This is an RNZ podcast. Chelsea soon joined them. By bedtime, all six English clubs are out and Ed Woodward is leaving Manchester United. Wednesday morning, Atletico Madrid and Inter announce their withdrawal. Juventus' Agnelli declares the project cannot proceed. From start to finish, 72 hours, the lifespan of the Super League. That was the BBC's Conor McNamara summing up in 72 breathless seconds what happened in 72 hours to collapse the plan for a European Super League of football. As we heard on Media Watch last weekend, the owners of the world's biggest football clubs suddenly announced they'd agreed to form a new Super League just for themselves. They said it was the only way to safeguard the future of the sport at the elite level. And they were backed by billions from a US merchant bank, JP Morgan Chase. But when their own fans turned against their own clubs, it was all over within three days. And it wasn't just the fans who revolted. Former big-name players with a big profile in the media laid into it as well, forcing grovelling apologies from owners like Liverpool FC's Boston-based boss, John W. Henry. Again, I'm sorry, and I alone am responsible for the unnecessary negativity brought forward over the past couple of days. It's something I won't forget and shows the power that fans have today and will rightly continue to have. Though when the billionaire founder of Spotify, Andrew Eck, tried to take over one of these shamed clubs this week, London's Arsenal FC, the fans didn't take to the streets with banners telling him and his money to Eck off. How come? Well, partly because he had some former and fondly remembered Arsenal players on board in advance. And whether it's the owners, the fans or the players who call the shots these days has been a big issue in the media here lately, ever since the US investment company Silver Lake offered almost $400 million for a stake in the New Zealand rugby commercial rights, putting them offside with their own players. Last week, the Herald writer Chris Keel wondered if players, ex-players and coaches here would speak out as strongly as the ones in the UK if a new investor tried to Americanise the All Blacks. And in the NBR last Wednesday, former NZME and Fairfax sports editor Trevor McEwen, who's also a former New Zealand rugby executive, warned rugby here to look at what happened in Europe. He pointed out that Silver Lake's big goal might not just be more All Blacks games, but also a new digital platform to sell live streams of them all around the world. What happens if Silver Lake decide the All Blacks need to play the US on Christmas Day in New York and in Tokyo on New Year's Day? And a new $100 million jersey sponsorship deal is contingent on New Zealand rugby agreeing. Well, the money would talk, you suspect, and many in the media have made sure that everyone knows what they reckon about all this too. Earlier this month, Mike Hosking on News Talk ZB backed the deal like this. Silver Lake 4. I mean, are we looking a gift horse in the mouth here? Half a billion into a sport, desperate for money, the ability to revolutionise the game and income streams, and allegedly the Players Association holds the cards. What's wrong with this picture? But it is a bit more complicated than that 10-second take and comedy sound effect. Last weekend on the same station, Jack Tame fretted about this. Less is more. I don't want to be bombarded by games and teams with players whom I've never heard of. But under the headline, Please Don't Sell Rugby to a Mob of Greedy US Billionaires, Stuff Sports columnist Mark Reason reckoned Silver Lake will want the All Blacks on an endless loop against England, but not Tonga, Samoa or Fiji. On Thursday, before the provincial unions were due to vote on this deal, Corin Dan asked the AUT's sports management expert Richard Wright this question. Uh, and given what you know as an expert on private equity companies in sport, should we do it? When I say we, uh, the All Blacks. 
New Zealand rugby need need investment. I think that's everybody has come to the agreement that New Zealand rugby needs investment. And Corin Dan seemed to realise almost as soon as he'd said it there that there is no we. This is the rugby union's business, and New Zealand rugby is more than just the All Blacks. But after the provincial unions all voted to take the money on Thursday, sports writer Gregor Paul said the opposite in the comment for the Herald. Every dollar the All Blacks have ever earned ultimately comes from the wallet of hard-working Kiwis, be it in the form of a match ticket, replica jerseys or a TV subscription. It is the farms, freezing works and factories that are the true owners of the All Blacks. But spending money on sports merchandise and entertainment doesn't give you a stake in any team or sport anywhere in the world in any sport. And that wasn't the point anyway, according to the AUT's Richard Wright. On Morning Report, he said New Zealanders, supposedly rugby mad, weren't actually spending enough on modern rugby. They need that investment because other people are not investing as much as they used to do in rugby. And that includes New Zealanders, you know, by a huge state. And in the stuff papers, Mark Reason posed another emotional question. If the game sells out to Silver Lake on Thursday, how will New Zealand rugby protect the integrity of the All Blacks and the Silver Fern and the Haka? which was on Lisa Owen's mind the day before the vote, talking to New Zealand rugby chair Brent Impey on RNZ's Checkpoint. The haka, the silver fern, the All Blacks jersey. Will um, New Zealand rugby retain complete control of them? Can you ring-fence that in this deal and remain in control of those brands and that, well, cultural tonga? Answer, yes. And Brent Impey was also pretty unequivocal about this. It it, it is an absolute no-brainer, this deal. It is... It is one of the largest uh, private equity deals in sport in the history of sport. And as I said to the players on a, on a uh, Zoom call on Thursday night, if this deal doesn't proceed because of the stance taken by the Players Association, it'll be the biggest own goal in the history of New Zealand sport. And I believe that. And in the end, the provincial rugby union leaders all voted with one mind the next day. But it's not as if the All Blacks and their supposed taonga are untainted by US dollars already. For the past 10 years, the All Blacks and other New Zealand representative sides have been walking, tackling and scrummaging billboards for the US insurer AIG, which reminds most Americans of the GFC and not rugby. The too-big-to-fail outfit was bailed out by the Federal Reserve with more than $180 billion US dollars in 2008. But since 2011, hundreds of millions from that sponsorship deal have gone to New Zealand rugby. On RNZ's Extra Time podcast, player Alice Soper pointed out that that didn't all just go to the All Blacks and the top tier of the men's game. The AIG deal was a big part of uh, saving the Black Fern 15s program. There was a conversation back in 2011 about scrapping 15s for the Black Ferns altogether. And it was when AIG came on and signed that deal that that's basically saved our bacon. So could it be that this uh, is also, you know, I know I've seen the spin. I've seen them talking about how this is going to be the difference of whether we have a super rugby competition or not. Um, I hear that that's happening regardless um, of this deal, but hey, wouldn't it be good to get some women paid? And the prospect of men and women getting paid with Silver Lake's money, coupled with the promise of cash for a game rotting at the grassroots and suffering a post-COVID slump, will now pump up the pressure on the players to agree to the deal. They are now the only stumbling block and they'll surely be scapegoated in the media if the deal fails because they're being portrayed as either too conservative or too greedy or both by those who see rugby as too big to fail and now needing big American investment to bail it out.